Welcome to another episode of the Ludogogi podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Antonis. And I'm Sarah. And today we're delighted to welcome Elizabeth Hargrave. Elizabeth is a games designer based in Washington, D.C. She's probably best known for her first published game, the runaway board game success of 2019, and the winner of the Spiel de Jahr, Wingspan. But if you haven't tried her other games too, you're missing out. Inspired by a love of nature, they include Tussie Mussi, a game about the Victorian language of flowers, Mariposas, about the migration of monarch butterflies, and the soon-to-be-available The Fox Experiment, a game themed on the idea of the selective breeding of foxes. We're also delighted to have Elizabeth here because it ties in so well with Ludogogi's monthly theme, which this month is Engines. And Wingspan, of course, is one of the most well-known of the engine-building games. So welcome, Elizabeth. Um, one of the things that we like to do with all our guests is to ask them about a fun or a, a, a little known fact about themselves. Um, so that's going to be my first question to you. Um, I never know at this point what's unknown about me. <laughs> I've interviews in the last few years. Um, I am now working full time as a game designer, which is fairly rare in the industry. And before I quit my job at the end of 2019, I was a freelance health policy researcher. So I know a lot more than your average person about the American healthcare system and especially the programs that serve the elderly and low income people in the US. Oh, that does sound like a, an environment you would want to escape after one point. <laughs> <laughs> It's very fulfilling because you feel like you're actually helping people when you're mm. writing your reports. But um, yeah, there, there's also a lot of spinning of your wheels and, you know, two steps forward, one step back. But. Yeah. And your your day to day routine must be very different now then. Yeah. It, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was doing freelance research, so it was it was a more gradual transition than you might imagine, in the sense that I was mostly already working from home and things like that. But yeah. All right. Uh, has this background uh, informed or influenced at all your uh, where you get ideas for your games? I don't think it's influenced my ideas that much, but I think it probably has influenced my methodology because I I am very comfortable in spreadsheets. And um, that translates over into how I design my games, for sure. So where do you get uh, your ideas for games? Do you have a specific process that you follow to get there? I would say it's sort of a multi-step process. I don't know. Um, so I keep a running list on my phone of theme ideas, mostly. Um I would say I'm definitely sort of theme first, but I've never started working on something only with theme. It's sort of like sitting there in the back of my brain. And the thing that really makes me start working on something is the combination of like, I want to work on something about this theme, but this is obviously the mechanic that needs to be at the core of that game. So like Murray Posts, I didn't start on without both Like, I want to do a game about the migration of monarch butterflies, and that's going to be a game where you're mostly moving pieces around on a map. I want the game to sort of force you to go north and south on that map. Um, so, and, and a few other sort of mechanical things about, like, collecting the flowers as the fuel for that movement. Um, that was all sort of, like, the core idea. 
And where does that come from? I don't know. <laughs> I have to say, having played Mariposas, it, it feels like the mechanics are really thematically strong in that game. It really, it really all works together really, really well. The idea of the, the movement, you really feel like the theme of migration really comes through very strongly. Right, right. And so the Fox experiment too, like I um I, I'm just fascinated by that. So it's based on this actual experiment that is still ongoing that started in the 50s in Siberia. Uh, and it's just fascinating. Like they selectively bred these foxes and very quickly, surprisingly quickly, like within 10 generations, started getting animals that were starting to look more like domesticated dogs. And um, but they were only breeding them based on personality and then all these physical traits start. So like, I really wanted to figure out a way that you could roll some dice, get a result for what your pups are like, and then have, have those pups somehow become the parents for the next generation. So that was like my, my core idea of theme plus mechanics and then i had to puzzle out like okay how does that actually work in practice like what are the different ways that you can't and we ended up with the dry erase cards as the way to to physically do that i find that super impressive because uh i'm aware of the experiment i i, I love uh reading a lot about science and biology and anthropology and uh how basically systems evolve based on the environments that they're in or part of. So I, I find that super impressive and I'm even more eager now to play the game. <laughs> but it, it happens rarely to me, I guess, to, to first be aware of the topic and then hear that there's a game about it as well, yeah. <laughs> play the game. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely, it puts some constraints on your game design, right? Like Wingspan would have been much easier to design if I could have just in my spreadsheet been like, I need five of these and five of these and five of these, and I can make up all the characteristics of each card. Like if you're making some fantasy game, you can just make up everything that's on the card yeah. in exactly yeah, the yeah, combination yeah. that you want to. But if you're working with real world stuff, sometimes that's a real constraint of like, sometimes I have to really like jigger around like, okay, what, like, the, making the deck, like literally making the list of birds that's going to be in an expansion deck is one of the most time-consuming parts of designing a wingspan expansion <laughs> yeah. for me. Um, just getting the the balance of all of those different factual things about the birds to to balance out right. I was going to say we were we were talking to another guest about the the, the challenges behind balancing a game to make sure that it's a, a fulfilling experience, but it's not too easy or it's not too hard, um, and that. You know, when you're dealing with something that is is so linked to real life, that must be really, really hard. And and I was going to ask you because my 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 favourite bird, well, actually my favourite bird is in there, uh, the red kite, which I'm holding up at the moment. Um, I live in kite country. We have at any given time, I can look in the sky and there'll probably be thirty or forty red kites because they were reintroduced here, very close to where I live. Um, a, a couple of decades ago, uh, but my British my people in bird watching. <laughs> <laughs> my second favourite bird isn't there, and I'm so sad about oh. it. Which is the rook? There's no rook. Oh, uh, there yeah. are other corvids. I remember sitting with all the corvids and trying to figure out which ones to include. It was a hard decision, and yeah. I forget why. 
I picked one over the road. But I guess if you put them all in, then there's going to be a preponderance of birds that work in a certain way. So it all makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cool. So um, talking a little bit about um, games design and, 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 and so on there and balance, um, obviously Wingspan's very, very famous for having the engine building mechanic at its core. But is, is that your favourite mechanic? Do you have a favourite mechanic? And, and, and where have you used it and how did it work out? Um, I hate picking favorites of anything, but yeah, <laughs> I do love a good engine building game for sure. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's probably safe to say that's one of my favorites or more generally, even than engine building. I like games where you are building something and it, it it's not about like tearing down what other people have built or their positions or whatever. Like I like building in general. Hmm. Sort of moving forward. Yeah. How do you approach the the creative process of designing such an engine that that relies more on building up rather than tearing down? Yeah, it's. I think the trickiest thing about designing an engine builder specifically is sort of figuring out what things are worth um, and how many times people are likely to be able to use them and. and something can have a very different value if you play it at the beginning of the game versus the end of the game. Um, and so you have to make a lot of assumptions and sort of wave your hands at some of it. And it's a lot of it's like trial and error and just seeing how things feel. And, and, um, but it's really tricky. It's really tricky. And the, and the deck in wingspan is definitely intentionally designed. So there are, you know, high point birds with no powers on them that, Really, there's no not a lot of reason to play them before the end of the game. Although, because of the player mat, they still do move you forward with your engine, even if you play them earlier. Um, and then there are other birds that are not worth a lot of points, but that will, you know, if you play them early, will do a lot for you um, to to build you up. And so, like figuring out that balance of of um, having enough of both things so that at any point in the game you feel like you have good options and like you have something that makes sense to play and or do actions to take um it it's tricky and it it was definitely a lot of trial and error for me uh, one of the things that sort of came across to me when wingspan first came out and i started playing it is that obviously all games are, to, are to, to a greater or lesser degree complex systems but it felt to me like Wingspan was was that in spades because the engine building each time you play it you're building a different engine. So did, was was it the case that it, it felt to me like it would be a game that had to have even more extensive play testing than most games because you, you're actually rather than it being a, a system incidentally, which a lot of games are, that was the purpose of the game was building this really complex system. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have a good sense of... I definitely playtested a lot, but it was also because I was like learning how to design a game for the first couple of years that I was working on it. It was totally different from how it ended up. Not totally different, but, you know, significantly different from how it ended up. And so, like, do those even count as playtesting that final system that you're talking about? Probably not. Um I mean, to a certain extent, like, I definitely sort of worked out rules for how to 
value the different types of powers and the different costs of cards and things like that. And so, you know, I talked earlier about how I'm very comfortable in spreadsheets. There is a giant spreadsheet behind the whole deck of wingspan cards that has a lot of formulas in it that are actually calculating some of that stuff for me, and which I really tried to set up, number one, so I didn't have to lose my mind, like, thinking, <laughs> thinking about each one. But also, like, I think it makes most things balanced. Now, there are assumptions in that that maybe we're wrong, that maybe have, you know, some things on the edges feel underpowered or overpowered. But in general, um you know, to the extent that the assumptions are the same across the whole deck, I think a lot of people think um, it it hangs together um, as a system because of that. Uh, do you have a practical tip for uh, new game designers about uh, <laughs> either using spreadsheets to to <laughs> to be more aware of their system or uh, or just uh, what what kind of wisdom can you share for game designers to to be aware of the entire system and uh, helping them to balance it out without them having to, uh, you know, get too much in the detail on themselves. Specifically on balance, I think the concept that helped me the most was this blog post by Seth Jaffe, um, where he talked about finding the unit in your game, mm. figure out something that is worth one point or a half right. point or what, you know, whatever, but figure out a thing in your game that is worth a specific amount and then figure out the relative values of everything relative to that fixed point. So an egg is worth a point in wingspan and you get, you know, a certain number of eggs on a turn. So that makes a turn worth a certain, you ought to be able to get a certain number of points in your turn. And of course, this is a little trickier because that changes over time, right? But <laughs> so I sort of pick a midpoint, like halfway through the game, you should be able to make this many points on your turn. And okay, if I'm drawing this many cards, what's that worth? And then if I'm spending a card to play a bird, what's that? You know, like figuring out what all the things are in your game that have value and figuring out what their values are relative to each other. And then once you sort of have that worked out and, you know, some of that is trial and error. And once you have it worked out and in your spreadsheet, then playtesting it a bunch and getting feedback and trying to think through like, oh, really, people are treating this like it's worth more than I'm counting it for. So maybe I should up that a little bit in my formula. And, oh, yeah, it's right that when you do this, like, what I, you know, whatever. Like, so then they're... I try not to have like two, two detailed exceptions, but there are definitely like, this is worth 1.1 of that because of this phenomenon psychologically or whatever, you know? Um, there's definitely a lot of trial and error and, and tinkering with the formula. And like I said, that's something that comes naturally to me, sort of tinkering with formulas and spreadsheets <laughs> that maybe isn't super easy for people, but it is a learnable skill. You can totally do it and anything you ever want to do in Excel or in Google Sheets is on the internet how to do it if you just Google it. Like, <laughs> and I, you know, I still do that even with my skill level. There will be things that I'm like, there has to be a way to take this value and manipulate it in this way. And sure enough, like if I Google it, it'll, it's there. Someone's figured it out. <laughs> 
it, it's really interesting because when you're talking about that, what that reminds me of sort of most um, is the way that another really, really complex game, which is Bridge, um, yeah. rather than necessarily trying to go, well, you know, you're doing this and you're doing this, which is actually talking about the game experience and, and the, the actual rules of the game, they, they pull back and go, well, actually, you can evaluate your hand with something which is nothing to do with the rules of the game, but with this point value. And that's what that reminds me of. And that's really, it's really clever. And, and in answer to your question, Antonis, there is no problem for which a spreadsheet is not the answer. I'm very keen on spreadsheets too. <laughs> I literally just said to someone yesterday, like any situation that has like more than five pieces of information, my natural information is to put them in a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> But I'd never thought of, of evaluating, which is silly because I play bridge, but I'd never really thought of evaluating other games in that way. But yeah. Yeah. And I think some game players do that naturally. Like there mm. are mm. people who are really good at games, their brains just go there of like, I should be able to make four points every turn. And if I'm not, I haven't found the optimum move yet. And like, and these are the things that can get me there. Like some people just think that way. I, that doesn't come naturally to me as a player, but I am aware of the phenomenon. <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, professional chess players, for example, think like spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, apart from, apart from your own games, are, are there any particular games that you like, and, and why do you like them? Yeah, again, I hate picking favorites, but um... <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. So. Uh, I would say one criteria for me for my favorite games is just like, what can I get to the table the most with my spouse and my friends? Um, we play a ton of Lost Cities still, my husband and I. Um, we play a lot of the crew. I still love Castles of Burgundy. Mm. Um, <laughs> for engine building, I love Terraforming Mars. We just talked mm, yes. to friends over the pandemic, Terraforming Mars, and had a little um late to the party flurry of pandemic obsession yes yes, yes. <laughs> um, and search for planet x i have always loved logic puzzles and so this is one actually that like it's hard for me to get to the table because my spouse is scared to play it with me although search <laughs> for planet x does a very interesting thing where they they build in as you're setting up the game you can handicap people mm-hmm um, so you, some people at the beginning of the game can get more information than others if you feel like you're not evenly matched at the logic puzzle task, which is a really interesting dynamic. You don't see a lot of other games no, build that into the rule set. Um, people may house rule things or like if you're playing with kids, maybe you give them a head start, but this just like built it into the, the app for how you get your information. One of the things that I, I sort of look at these days, because um, sadly, I have a spouse who's not that keen on playing games, which is a bit <laughs> bit tragic. So one of the things I tend to look at quite a lot is is whether there's a good Automa. And obviously, Wingspan has a great mm -hmm. Automa. And Terraforming Mars, which is the other one you mentioned, is, yeah. is pretty good. Um, Terraforming Mars, it, I think it's, considering the complexity of the game, it's Automa works really well because it's it's usually really close you're either just failed or you've just won and i think that's a really good uh, good indication that they've got the automobile kind of worked out okay 
I was really impressed. I had nothing to do with the Automa, but the guy who designed it, David Studley, um, was actually a pretty frequent playtester of Wingspan. He happens to live in the area. And um, so I was just blown away when I first tried his prototype for the Automa because he like, I mean, I think he achieves this even with games that he wasn't a frequent playtester on, but it yeah, just yeah, yeah. felt like he really got it and like you feel like you're playing against an opponent and you, there is that tension of like oh my gosh can i pull this out or not it's good, good. potential future guess <laughs> yeah maybe yeah yeah he's great Yeah, it'd be really interesting. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Elizabeth, who uh, who are some game designers that you admire and perhaps you would uh, like to see them on the show? Mm. I think someone that was a, a real inspiration to me as I was really trying to get into the industry was Inca Brand. Because um, there are, she's probably got to be like the most successful, prolific woman within the sort of hobby board game space. Um, so it's just nice to see her out there ahead of me. Um, I got to meet her in 2019 when I was making the rounds with Wingspan and I made it to Germany until we were at an event together. Um, but I'm not sure how much English she speaks. So she might be a <laughs> guest in that sense. Um, I know she was on five games for Doomsday and I actually like managed to do it. A, a translated interview, which is great because you don't hear her on a lot of the English language podcasts. Are there any, any games of hers that you particularly like to sort of share and, and, and talk about your experience with? I guess the one that I'm thinking of most recently is probably Rogers of the Ganges. Um, and I love... That was one of the first games I had played, I think, where they've got the, the um, two separate scoring tracks that are kind of going in opposite directions during the game, which I think is super interesting and that and that being the thing that triggers the end of the game well that does sound inspiring <laughs> i'll have to check that one out i've not played that one i have to say yeah me neither <laughs> so um obviously the listeners to ludagogi quite a lot of them are uh, they're either using uh board games in learning they're using other people's games but quite a lot of them are actively involved in games design which was one of the reasons we decided to start this podcast to get this this kind of feed of, of inspiration from people in the hobby gaming field um so what piece of advice would you would you give to someone who's just starting out in in games design i would say that getting something out of your head and onto the table makes all the difference and just knowing that the first prototype you make is not going to be a good game and that is true for even the most accomplished board game designers often. Um, but you will learn so much more about where your game needs to go by getting it onto the table and just trying your crappy first draft than you will ever learn by thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. Because there will always be things in how it plays out um, that you hadn't thought of that affect everything else. And like you just have to see the system on the table. Like we were talking about systems beforehand like there are, at least for me still i don't know maybe some people reach the the level where they can think it all out in their head ahead of time and i have gotten a little faster than at that but i think if you're just starting out in design there's nothing more valuable than just making the fastest prototype you possibly can not spending a lot of time on it knowing that it's all going to change 
um, but just trying it instead of thinking about it. Because they all work, they all work perfectly, don't they? In your head, right, right. You get like all down the road of like you know a hundred different cards that you want, and yeah, do not design. I'm thinking it through in my head, and it's just this most wonderful play experience that everybody's going to be, you know, flocking to play. And then then you get the prototype out, and it's just like, yeah, this is rubbish. <laughs> Here are twenty ways it went wrong that you couldn't even think of. <laughs> Your first draft of a game, depending on on what type of gamer you are, I think often people's first draft of a game is like three times more complicated than they realize. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then yes. The, the process of design becomes like significantly cutting that back and then maybe adding some things in. Yeah. Um, so one thing that can make you faster over time is just getting a sense for like, where your first inclination is to go. And if it's, if you know that that's going to have to be dialed back to maybe in your first draft, which you can get on top of that and dial it back a bit already. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like the idea that it's always more complicated to write a short letter than a long one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah in, in art as well, I, I find games uh, are highly artistic, and very demanding when it comes to creativity, exactly, because it, they usually combine different forms of art all together. And in art, one of the most difficult things has to do with minimalism and essentially conveying the the highest amount of value with the smallest amount of detail. That's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, very, it's very much a challenge, but when you achieve it, oh yeah, <laughs> it's game on. <laughs> People talk about the, the sense of elegance in a game being like, how much interesting decision space can you create with how few rules right? yeah, and, the, yeah. and like the fewer rules that you have while still allowing that really interesting um gameplay the the more elegant people may call your game yeah i, I think i think tussie mussy does that very well and and when when that when I first played that, the, the the game that it reminded me most of just purely from the from the materials point of view was love letter. I think Love yes, Letter is it's a beautifully elegant game. And Tussie Mussie felt like that. There was a lot of gameplay for just 18 cards. It's, uh, yeah, impressive. Yeah, that was a fun project that I took on while I was waiting for Wingspan to come out. So I was absolutely exhausted of having like worked out all the details on the 180 cards that are in Wingspan. And then I was like, oh, yes, I can enter an 18-card contest. And it worked out. So it was the result of a contest then? It was, yeah. Ah. So there's a company in, in, uh, in the States called Button Shy that specializes in these 18-card games, and I think once in a while they'll... Oh, right. Okay, I didn't realize that. Design contest, yep. Oh, that's so, I, mean, I have to say, you know, there are, there are so many great contests out there. And I think that's something that's really worth people who are starting out in games getting involved in because it gives you a constraint to work to. can't remember which one it was, but it's, um, it's zine games. So, you know, very, very short pamphlets. Um, and there was the result of a competition and the whole lot's been put on Kickstarter on maths. And there's some beautiful, beautiful games in there. So that's that idea of a sort of game jam, which has an output, which people can then support, I just think is a really, really good idea. But I didn't realise that's where Tussie Mussie had come from. Yeah, yeah. You learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, you're definitely not the first guest of the show to mention uh, as a uh, as a tip just go out and do it. <laughs> yeah. So, I'd like to expand a bit on 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 the concept of uh learning points because games-based learning is pretty much at the at the heart of Ludogogi and also at the core of what we want to achieve with the podcast. So, uh, I'm wondering for for new not for game designers necessarily, but for people in general, that maybe listen to this podcast what is something that you have learned from your uh, game design experience that can be translated into something that you can use in your uh, real life outside of games i have learned about myself that often when i am procrastinating and don't want to pick up the thing that i need to be working on It's often because something about it feels hard to me. And I have found that if I acknowledge that and then figure out like the tiniest little piece of it that I can attack, often that's all I need to get going and then I'm just in it. Um but i need to be self-aware that that's what's happening that i am procrastinating that it's because it feels hard and if as, once i name that i can figure out how to get started i'm going to i'm going to take that to heart because i i, <laughs> I, I needed this advice to be honest <laughs> <laughs> and that definitely goes like game design like cuz there will be times that i just don't feel like working on a game yeah. and it might take me a couple days but it's usually there's like some thing in it that i just can't crack i'm like okay I'm just going to try it where I double the value of this thing and see what happens and maybe yeah. that'll get me through or you know I'm just going to go into the uh Nandek file and change this other thing about the layout of the card that's been bothering me but now that I'm in there I'm kind of yeah. I'm st- my brain's thinking about it again and I'm starting to work on the other thing in the back of my mind you know that sort of thing um Yeah, but it's also like, man, I was just on vacation for several weeks and I came back to a lot of emails that I had been avoiding and um it felt so daunting and I was like, okay, I'm just going to sort my inbox by who these came from and look, I can delete these 20 things from this mailing list of mine and look, <laughs> I can you know, like you start feeling that forward process and then you can like actually keep going. <laughs> Yeah, that smallest piece that you can just nibble away from the edge and then it feels like you've made some forward movement. Right. Yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's this famous saying that uh, the longest trip of a thousand uh, miles begins with the first step. But uh, this this ignores that there are so many things that can influence your decision to take the first step. Yeah. So how do you <laughs> fight uh, your way through all this uh, emotional blockage that just doesn't allow you to take the tiniest first step and you just gave a very a very practical tip to actually uh, deal with that. So thank you very much for that. Right. And and usually it's not there's not only one option for what your first step can be. Like if you've gotten stuck in thinking like oh I need to do exactly this and the whole thing all at once like that can yeah. be a real barrier and like really maybe I just need to open the document and put the title in it 
yeah. <laughs> yes. I can, I can definitely see that one. The blank page. Oh, yeah. It's uh, very daunting, isn't it? So uh, along your journey as a game designer, uh, based on what you just said, it must have been full of challenges as well. So what would be perhaps the biggest challenge? And uh, how did you work your way around it? Yeah, I mean, I think along the lines of what we've been talking about on multiple questions, I think for me, one big challenge is being efficient. Like, I think I've gotten more efficient over time. And I think um, it's partly what I was talking about, about like, I, if you're going to play test something and you know it's all going to change anyway, like you can make a pretty fast prototype. You don't have to spend a lot of time on the layout. You might even make it just by writing on some slips of paper by hand in pencil. And, um, or I've started using dry erase sometimes too. I have like, I have some, um, plastic sheet protectors and I'll just write on them in dry erase for my board or whatever. Um, so that sense of like, I constantly have to remind myself, this is all going to change. And any effort that I make beyond the minimum needed for like the next piece of information that I'm trying to get out of a play test is probably wasted effort. Um, and how can I like be snappier about how I make things? Um, that's something that I'm, always having to remind myself about. Um, it's not necessarily a challenge in the sense of like, it doesn't prevent me from doing things, but I do think it makes me more efficient and um, kick myself a little bit less when I have to remake an entire deck of cards that I just made or whatever. And then things like now I've learned to put version numbers <laughs> on things and um, little things like, like uh, just, I think I've gotten better at treating it like a job and being more formal about my process and keeping track of things. Um, and I don't know how important it really is in the end, but it it uh, it, it feels a little more efficient and more like a, like I'm using my time better. Like I'm getting I'm I'm and you know the less time I spend on stuff that's going to change anyway, the more time I have to think about it yeah i guess it, it can sometimes be i mean I, I find this because games design and 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 making sort of gameful activities and so on feels very creative and it feels very exciting um, and sometimes it moves along at a great pace and it and it can sometimes be be difficult to to rein that back in and go actually i've got to be methodical about this as well Otherwise, I'll be having fun, but I won't end up with something which is actionable or sort of executable at the end of it because I won't be able to find all the bits that I, I made along the way because I, they won't have version numbers on or they, they won't be labelled properly or documented properly. So, yeah, Right, and I think that that sense of fun versus work is definitely important to keep in mind as you get through the process because... Um, if you're actually like getting the point that your game's about to be published, you are like it is drudgery. Those last play tests where you just need to make sure everything 
is okay, but you've already played this game 200 times. <laughs> it's not fun anymore. Um, yeah. And, and you just have to do it. And at that point it is, it's work and it's not fun. And, um, you know, not everyone's getting paid for doing this stuff. either. <laughs> There's no guarantee that your game is going to make you much money. Um, and so in general, I try to, you know, like have a very playful attitude about everything. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm only doing this because I enjoy games and because it's fun, but in the end you, you do have to actually work. Yeah. Cause at some point, um, I, I guess it's, it's the point where the possibility of, of publication and, and actually becoming a product is, is there, um, that suddenly everybody else's expectations kick in and it's no longer about something you're having fun making it's about a, a, a deliverable that you've got to to give to other people and they will have certain um standards about how that should be done i suppose <laughs> right. Right. and i have certain standards too and that's that's one of the other pieces of advice that i give to a lot of game designers is like to play enough games in a thoughtful way that you really start to develop your own sense of taste of like, what's working here? What isn't working? What do I actually like in games? What drives me crazy in games? Um, how would I do this game differently if it were mine? Those sorts of questions that like really hone that sense, because I think that's the only thing that tells you when you're done is having that internal compass of like, is this good or not? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think some people have that much better than others. And it, it, it can really serve, serve you well to have that sense of like, no, this is not done. This is playable, but it's not a good game yet. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the, the answer to that is just to play, isn't it? You can't, you can't sort of, you can't get that through, you know, reading textbooks about how games work or whatever you've got to play. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, I'm sure a, a lot of people listening to this will have, will have played Wingspan, um, but if they haven't or if they haven't uh, had the opportunity to play some of your other games or, or find out more about uh, your work, because I know you're, you're quite interested in promoting the work of uh, female and non-binary games designers and, and black designers working in games design as well. Uh, where, can, where can people go to find out a bit more about that and to, to find out about your games? Yeah, so I have a website that is elizhargrave.com I don't bother to spell out my whole name because it is too long <laughs> so just the first four letters of my first name E-L-I-Z hargrave.com um, and I'm pretty active on social media historically but right now I'm sort of trying to figure out where I'm going to land after having been out of town for six weeks and Twitter exploded <laughs> yes. um, on Twitter I'm at Liz Hargrave, just the same as my website. Thank you so much, Liz. It was wonderful to have you with us today. Uh, we'll make sure to put the links in the description. So if you're listening to this episode, make sure to also read the description of this episode to find out more about Elizabeth Hargrave and about the Ludogogi magazine. This has been the Ludogogi podcast. Game, Game over! over.